So turn, just on this right here, just give me a little less monitor, if you wouldn't mind, please. Thank you much. All right. James chapter 2 is where we are heading tonight. If you have a Bible, James, the second chapter. If you've been around this church a couple of decades, you know that we, we've done a couple of go-arounds go through the book of James verse by verse. It is absolutely food for the soul, praise God, manna for the inner man. But we're just going to look at one scripture tonight, one that we have taken as a text more times than I can count over the years, and we'll just be conscientious of the time. I've got 7.31 on my iPad. I know I was long Sunday. I don't apologize for what was said. I do apologize for sometimes I take too long to say it, all right? But here we go. James 7.31. James 2.19. You ever, I told your wife earlier, you ever feel like at times your kids just get kind of tired of hearing your voice? If you're a parent, you ever get that feeling like sometimes your kids just kind of get tired of hearing your voice? And I know sometimes I can be long and arduous, and I apologize. I, I don't intend it to be that way. Last thing I want is you to be tired of hearing my voice, but I know it gets that way. James 2.19, the Bible said, Thou believest that there's one God, thou doest well. You deserve commendation for that. You believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. going to talk tonight from this title, The One and Only. You believe that there's one God? The one and only. You know, one thing I found out about the Bi in the Bible, Brother Jim, the devil knows doctrine too. The devil knows Bible doctrine. I'm going I'm to do something different tonight because I won't be too long. You brothers, I'm going to let you go ahead and seat, sit with your families or whatever you'd like to sit tonight. Thank you, though, for being concerned about it. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believes and trembles. Love that scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy today, tonight. Every soul in the house, every brother, every sister, every young person, every elder, give you all the praise and glory and honor. Bless, encourage, renew. Help us, God, to focus on what you want said tonight. No more and no less. We give you all the praise. Wonderful name of Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Look at somebody and say the one and only. I'm only asking for your emotional or your mental response in, internally. Think about this if you wouldn't mind, please. But what is the greatest single piece of knowledge in the hands of man tonight. What is the single greatest piece of knowledge in the hands of mankind tonight? Combination of the world banking system. I told you that the vault at Fort Knox, there are 10 full-time staff employees, and each one of them has a different part 
of the combination to that vault, nobody knows, at least of those 10 staff members, the entire thing. That way it takes at least 10 people to get in to open that door. And there's one thing about responsibility. It can be weighty and it can be undesirable. Brother Rick, when I was literally 35 years in the grocery business, and after, after you get through the novelty portion, when you're young you think, oh, I want to be the manager, I want to be the supervisor, I want to be the trainer. Then you realize after a while when you have the combination of the safe in your head or the keys to the store in your pocket, there's a lot of responsibility to go with that. And when the, when the head of all heads comes in and says, we've done audit after audit after audit and there's X amount of dollars missing and you're one of the few with the combination, guess what? You are immediately a suspect. And all the flair and novelty of being in charge, suddenly you're deflated just a little bit. Uh, what about, you know, things like, you know, how to split the atom or Einstein's theory of relativity? What's the greatest single piece of knowledge in the hands of mankind? How to cure the common cold? That would be nice to know. How to cure AIDS or cancer? We know how to put men on the moon, but we can't even cure the common cold in the human being. What about knowledge? What is the single greatest piece of knowledge available to the human being? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge can be a deterrent. It can be a negative. He said knowledge puffs up. And if we don't have the maturity to use knowledge the right way, it can cause pride to rise to the surface. And if we act like we know more than somebody else, even if we do, that's what Paul is talking about. It can puff up the flesh. It can elevate the pride in an evil and undesirable way. But the knowledge of God is the central theme of all scriptures. It is the highest piece of knowledge, in my opinion, in the hands of any human being. No matter what color the skin, no matter what educational background, the knowledge of the of, of God Almighty is the single most powerful influence on planet Earth. There are people that don't even know what they're looking for, but they're looking for something. I'm telling you what we're going to talk about tonight is the thing that empty hearts only wish they could come into contact with. Now, if you believe in the absolute inerrancy of the Scripture, of the Bible, if you believe the Bible is without any flaw, any fault, any error, any mistake, and I hope you do. It takes faith to be there, of course. But if that is inclusion of you, if you believe the Bible is without mistake, then you have to believe the message of the Scriptures individually. Like Exodus 20, verse 3, God said, you are to have no other gods before me. That could mean spiritual gods, physical gods, emotional gods, financial gods. He said, I'm a jealous God, and I will stand nothing being put before me in our relationship. So you, you, you can't blindly say you believe all of the Scripture. 
You can't blindly say, I believe all scripture is right, and then not believe each individual verse. I've said this before, it's almost, um, almost tender or kindling for an argument when we say, I believe in all of the Bible, but we don't even know all the Bible. We don't even know it for surface value, much less, revel much less revelation value. I, I appreciate blind faith, I really do, and I hope that's where we stand. That even though I don't comprehend the depth of revelation in every verse, I'm just going to trust God that it's all accurate. That's where I am. And there are people, the world has got a professional debate against people like you and I. If you can't answer what was made first, the chicken or the egg, or what crossed the road first, they know where to go from there and how to respond to you. I don't care about any of that. I believe, Brother Mike, that the Bible is accurate, it is perfect, it is right, it is without flaw, without fault, without any sort of discrepancy. We can't make statements like that, though, and then look at individual verses of the Bible and pick and choose. If the Bible said it's an abomination for a man to wear that which pertains to a woman, Deuteronomy 22.5, or a woman to wear that which pertains to a man, you can't just disqualify that verse because you don't like it. It's in the Bible. We can't have a faith in the general message of Scripture and yet deny the individual message of verses in the Scripture. Oh man, I don't feel good enough to do this tonight. But I'm telling you, uh, just if God's will be done, we can get through this and 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 do it. God wants the way God wants it to be done. But I want this church. I want this body of believers tonight. I want you in leadership, or you that are just visiting tonight, the church to know that as far as me and my house, I believe that every book in the Bible, there's 66 of them. I believe that every chapter inside the 66 books of the Bible, 929 in the old and 260 in the new chapters, that is. I believe every verse, every sentence, every word, every letter, every intention, every revelation, be it known to my mind yet or not, I believe everything in the Bible is factually accurate from beginning to end, period. Whether you were raised in church, raised Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Pentecostal, Episcopalian, Lutheran, whatever, I believe that every single line in the Bible is a purpose, has a purpose to it, and is accurate and true. That's why we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God so that divine revelation can be uncovered, unearthed. To you and I. I don't believe there's a single gray area in the Bible. That's how, that's how silly some people will look at me. I don't believe it's ambiguous. I don't believe it's indistinct. I don't think it's without defined motion and meaning and direction. 
If we don't understand it, it isn't the Word's fault, and it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Amen. Why not? Right. But to them, no, that was right. absolutely right. true for them. They really right. believe you can't just have right. people yep. And they, they truly believe that. that. Yeah. And of course, as you grow in your relationship with God, we can't win anybody if we hide in a closet. But the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you realize the importance of what he just stated there. Yeah. Is that you have to be careful that you don't compromise moral standards, obligations, ambitions, desires, where God has brought you from. I, we've, had, we've all had those people in our life, those people that, one of my best friends, I, I consider him a friend, a mentor in the retail business to me. I, and if, if he were to call me today, now he's 70 years old today, but he would t call me and say, I'm starting a new store in Palmer, and I want you to go. I'd go, man. I, I think that much of him. I'd work for him for nothing. We did. We, that much... Uh, professional estimation in, in him I have. But when I first got the Holy Ghost, Brother Jim, I can take you, the store's not there now, but 3717 Spernard Road, old Foodland, across from the bowling alley there. I worked, Joe Franza owned that for years, and I worked for Joe off and on. But anyway, I can, I'll take you to that office tonight where he pulled me aside and said, let me tell you something. He said, you be careful about all this crazy church stuff you're getting involved in in your life. He's my mentor now. My mentor, I love this man. To this day, I love this man. He's a, he's a faithful member of, a, of one of the names of the churches I just spouted off up there. And I know he just doesn't know. He thinks what he was trying to counsel me is right. But you and I have come out of darkness into this marvelous light. I read a scripture the other day that just, for some reason, jumped off the pages. I've read it hundreds of times before. I'm not boasting. I'm just stating fact. But Jesus said, there's going to come a day. That when people kill you, they think they're doing God a service. It's not that they just hate the church. They think they're actually helping the cause of God by stifling your voice. So you're right. You're right on. It, it's, it's, so, it's so interwoven in the fabric of the world, all right? But... But let, let's, let's just take some small steps forward here. First of all, there's the religious world's explanation of the identity of Jesus Christ, all right? There's the religious world's explanation, a.k.a., you fill in the blanks, a good man, a prophet, part of God, a spiritual being and power. One movement says he's the brother of Lucifer. I've told you all about that before. Everybody, whether they're religious or worldly, has an opinion about the identity of God Almighty. Everybody thinks, and again, I'm not casting stones. I'm just saying 
Jesus is a very controversial name. Would you, can I get an amen? You can't bring that name up anywhere, Brother Jim, without someone wanting to tell you what they think about it. Hallelujah. The first thing is the, is the religious world's explanation of who Jesus is. The second thing we want to talk about tonight is the biblical revelation of the Almighty God in Christ. The biblical revelation. Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. You didn't get this in Bible school. Sorry. You didn't get this from some tutor, mentor, leader, executor. You, know, you, you got this from God Almighty. When he said, you are the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. You got that straight out of heaven. Revelation. And that's, that's primarily where we're going to spend the next nine minutes or so, eight minutes or so, is in the biblical revelation of the Almighty God. Revelation 1, verse 8. Please take note of this. I need some help tonight. Revelation 1, verse 8. Let's start here, Brother Stacy. Read this for me. Revelation 1, verse 8. Now, that's red letter in, in most reliable, in all reliable renditions of the New Testament. This is Jesus talking here. This isn't Paul representing the Lord or some, something like this. This is Jesus Christ talking. Look what he said. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, present tense, was, past tense, and which is to come, the Almighty. I got news for you today. People that think he's part of God, a form of God, a good man, a preacher, a prophet, a spokesman of God. Jesus called himself the Almighty. Now listen, you can't have two Almighties lest they both cease to be Almighty. Almighty means all-inclusive. It's all enveloped into one package. Jesus called himself the Almighty. All right. Revelation 1 verse 8, if you're taking notes or if you're marking in your Bible, that's a, that's a good scripture concerning the biblical revelation of the Almighty God in Christ. Just going to throw these out there for you. Brother Anthony, would you read 2 Corinthians 5.19? God was in Christ. Okay, Isaiah 9, 6. Brother Plale, please, sir. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I don't care what school of theology you come from. I don't care what translation of Bible, well, the least the 20 or so that I have looked at um, methodically over the last 30 years. Most, any human being, mostly any person that's read of any length of time the Bible at all, from numerous places, translations, Greek, even Greek manuscripts, will tell you, everybody say the same thing. This, the subject of this verse is Jesus Christ. 
Unto us a child is born. A son is given. Isaiah, who did I tell this recently? There's a reason why he's called the golden prophet among major prophets. The man had the deepest, most refined walk of revelation concerning who God was of any that are out there. And I know Ezekiel 60 times plus, then shall they know who I am, I am the Lord, etc. But Isaiah had such profound insight and, and deliverance of that internal insight, all right, if I can put it that way. The subject is Jesus Christ here. Long before the human portion of the Almighty God was ever given breath of life. Long before, as Isaac Asimov will debate and argue, long before the virgin womb bore the human Christ from the spirit of the Almighty God. Asimov says that it can't be proven that Mary was untouched in the sense of sexual virginity. And he's a Jewish scientist who wrote his own biblical commentary. I read it for myself. He's just lost in space, all right? Lost out there somewhere. And yet he's got quite a following, quite, a, quite an amazing and powerful following. Anyway, the subject is not a mystery. We know he's talking about Jesus. And hear the golden prophet, not the Lord Jesus himself. Hear the golden prophet calls the son the father. The son is given, government on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting what? And he's also called Mighty God. Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How is that possible? How is it possible? 1 Timothy 3.16, I'm glad you asked. Brother Walter, please, 1 Timothy 3, 16. This is what's called incarnation. Go ahead. God was manifest in the flesh. Brother and sister, I know that many of you who want fog machines and smoke colored smoke to go on up here, you're probably thinking about, you know, the TGIF Friday, Fight All of Friday at Cars, this way, or whatever's going on. Make sure you get your spaghetti cups or whatever it is. But this is the single most powerful piece of information that's ever been placed in the hands of humankind. You, if you yawn at the mighty God in Christ, you don't have the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I'm not trying to put you down. I am trying to enlighten you about something tonight because God was manifest in the flesh. I don't have time to go there, but, but if you're taking notes like Mark, like Mark 124 and John 1 verse 5, there's demons that say, uh, we know who you are. What are you doing down here? And John 1 verse 5, the darkness comprehended it not. The demons said, uh, we know who you are, but we don't know what you're up to. Because the same God that sat on the golden throne with eyes like flames of fire and a voice like the thunder of many waters. The same God whose hair was white like wool and lightning shot from behind the shoulders. That same voice that said, get out of here to those fallen angels. 
is now walking in a human body on planet earth and they go they're going what in the world we know who you are we just don't know what you're up to down here and of course the reason revelation reads chapter 5 the entire chapter if you, chapter if you get time tonight it's all talking about God searching for somebody that could pay redemption's price. And he found nobody. And out of the midst of the crowd stood a lamb as if it had been slain from the foundation of the world. I got to hurry here. I said 20 minutes tonight. I've made myself a note 20 minutes and I'm a liar again. Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2, 9. Brother Ken, would you read this? Brother Ken Lewis, please. Colossians 2, verse 9. If you're, if you're a NIV, NAS, Amplified, many of the major translations, that word Godhead might make more sense to you when you read those. It says the deity. Everything that made God, God, was in Jesus the man. Everything that made God without flaw, almighty, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. That's why Jesus can say in John 14, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? All right, I got I to gotta stand right here. Otherwise, I'm going to beat myself up all night long again. All right, we're talking about the one and only. Genesis 1, verse 1, I heard you say in the word, the book earlier, brother. All right, let's give the ladies a chance to. Sister McKenzie, would you read that for us tonight? In the beginning, God created the heaven. And the earth. And Jen, I want John 1 verse 1, but I don't know that I ask for you in the Amplified is where I'd like it. Of course, John 1 1 in, the, in King James in the beginning uh, was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All right. Sister Carrie, would you do us an honor, please? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey. The word was God. Himself. Now I know what the NIV translators of 2011 did, Brother Justin. They took out the masculine, masculine approach of God, and they don't think we have the right to say God has masculinity in His personality or a femininity. They made God, in the sense of being here Himself, referred to as Himself, as it. God, the being. I got news for you. The world's full of lies and hate. Because God is a spirit, of course. Right? But Revelation 9, verse 8, the angels had hair like women, the Bible said. So there's obviously, there's obviously natures in the angelic host, female, effeminate, or masculine. And God is a spirit, not in the sense of being an angel, but God is masculine in every Hebrew sense of the Old Testament revelation of Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah. He's masculine. God 
coming down in, from the virgin or through the virgin canal of Mary didn't come out as a woman. I know, and that's not, you accuse me of sexism all you want to. We're living in a crazy society today. And if anybody says that about us in this place, you're, you're, they're not telling the truth. They're not representing how it is. But I'm telling you, Brother Carlos, this world is twisted and evil and wicked. When they tell us we don't have the right to teach our children that they can identify themselves by their gender, that they, they have the right to say that they're masculine or feminine, no matter, no matter what components were naturally attached to the human anatomy. You hear me? Sorry if that's too deep for you tonight or too profound. But I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Exactly. Well, focus, Ron, focus. The word was God, Him. That's where I was going. Himself. Then John 1.14, King James, please. And I'll, I'll try to just move on here. Oh, Lord have mercy. And the Bible said that word was made flesh. Did you catch that? God himself was made flesh. That's not, you're not looking for that mystery to be un, unveiled or revealed. We know when that happened. When the heavenly host flew in the skies and the wise men, etc., etc., and that virgin womb brought forth a man child. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, you can't separate God from his word. You can't have a love for God's word and a problem with God. You can't live completely committed to the wholesome identity of scriptures and have an anger issue with God. It doesn't, somewhere you've got to deal with one or the other. Before you can progress in a relationship with God himself, you've got you to make up some issues in your mind with God's word. They are inseparable. They're inseparable. If Brother Larry tells me he's going to pick me up at 8 o'clock tonight and anything short of catastrophe, he'll be there. That's his word. You can't tell me, well, Larry's here and his promise is there. It doesn't work that way. You are your word, brother. What comes out of your mind and across your lips is part of what you are. You're not a separate, distinct order of Larry. You are Larry. You can't separate God from his word. Just hurry. Deuteronomy 6.4, Acts 4.12, all right? Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is doctrine, brother. This is foundational, fundamental bedrock of the faith. Hear, O Israel. If you take time to read Deuteronomy 6, 7, and chapter 8 in particular, uh, Moses was told by God, you teach your kids this truth right here. When they get out of bed, teach them. When they, when they, when they eat supper, teach them why you pray in Jesus' name. When you pray with them as they go to bed at night, tell them who this, what this is all about. Tell them we're one God, apostolic, Jesus name, tongue-talking, holy-living, Bible-believing, heaven-desiring, hell-fearing, 
children of the Most High God. And brothers, let me just throw this weight on your shoulder. If you leave it up to your wife to do that, then it's no wonder your kids grow up with a feminine. Hallelujah. I wanted my boys to know, oh, you, can't re- you can't replace the position of a mom. I'm not saying that. But I wanted my boys to know, hey, there's, a, there's an order of authority in this home. And the man's going to live it just like the woman lives it, all right? And if I don't have time to teach my kids, I have no right to expect my wife to take time to teach my babies. Hello. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. Something, something coming over me here. God designed man to be the priest of the home. Hello? Well, all right. I'm talking about the one and the only. All right, here's the setting. Let me, let me just wrap this up. Uh, 8.03. I've been 32 minutes. Uh, I get tired of hearing myself sometimes. You know what I mean, brother? Moses is told by God on top of the mountain. Now you go back into Israel's or Pharaoh's company and you tell them, I want my people out of bondage. Do you think that's just a historical story for us to look back on, teach our kids, get a little goosebump? You know, there, I believe, like I preached recently, Brother Trace, there's a time when God looks at the things that bind us. God looks at the things that bind Depending on how you cry to God. If you just let things flow, oh, whatever, this is my lot in life, to be bound, to be hindered, to be hateful, to be unforgiving, to be lustful, to be greedy, to be a thief, to be a liar. If we just accept that then you know what, we can stay in Egypt for the rest of our life, and God will allow that to happen. But the more Israel cried, God said, I can't take it anymore, my words. I'm paraphrasing. And he told Moses, come up to the mountain, i got a message for you. You go tell Pharaoh, I've had all I can take of the cries of my people. How long, how long are we just going to lay down and say, I guess this is my lot in life? I'm sick of these addictions, God. I'm sick of my mind being dirty and in the gutter, God. And God tells Moses, go down there and tell them, let my people go. So Moses goes to Israel, and he says, I, it, it ain't going to be long. We're going to be out of here. Yeah. He says, we're going to get out of this place. And, 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 and Moses had the foreknowledge enough to ask God, so if I go there, I know how these people think. They're going to ask me. I'm in Exodus 3. I believe it's 13. All right? He, they're going to ask me, who, who sent you? I mean, who gave you any kind of authority? Who, who, who told you to come back here? In other words, Moses said, look, I want some clout. I want some knowledge. Any, are you following me right now? I want some know-how. I don't want to walk in there and go, hey, I can juggle. What do you think? Let the people go. He said, I want some knowledge. I want some revelation knowledge as to who I'm serving and in whose name I'm declaring their liberty. 
Almighty God. He said, who do I tell them has sent me? And he said, you just tell them. You tell them. I am. You see that capitalization of it there? That means it's with emphasis spoken. He didn't go whisper. If you got time, whisper, tell him I am. Yeah, he said, uh, you tell him I am that I am. And that's who sent you unto them. All right, let's fast forward, Sister Playa. Luke 9, 18. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand right here. I'm, Brother Anthony, come here. Stand right there, brother. No. Get, put, look at me. Huh? Look at Okay. Come here, brother Stacy. I got to have some. Stand, stand right there. Don't let me go anywhere. Just stand right there. Yeah, you, you need that, brother. No, I'm joking. I do. I do. Joking. Thank you. Did you catch that? Huh? Let me look at his notes here. Luke 9, 18 is where I want you to go. And it came to pass as he was alone praying. His disciples were with him. This is Jesus. And he asked them, saying, who do the people say I am? What's, what's, this, what's the conversation in the community out there? Hmm? Luke 9, verse 20. And then he turns to Peter, Paul, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Thaddeus, Thomas, James, and Les. And he said, and who, who do you say I am? You catch that? And then John 8, 53, Pharisee said to Jesus, my words, who do you think you are? You greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? You know how that would translate today, who do you think you are? It's amazing the gall some people have when they're dealing with God. Who do you think you are? My baby's laying there sick. Who do you think you are? You catch that? Look at these questions here. Let me read what I wrote here. Four questions. Who do, you, who do I tell them you are? Who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? And who do you think you are? Two questions from man about God's identity. And two questions from God about man's knowledge of his identity. Say it again. Two questions from man about God's identity. Who do you think you are? And two questions from God about man's knowledge of God's identity. Bottom line is this, John 8, 58. Jesus just stands up and says, I'm going to tell you how the rubber meets the road. Before Abraham was, before Abraham was, Before Abraham was, Jesus said, you don't even know who you're talking to. I didn't just come into existence at Bethlehem's manger. I pre-existed as the great I am, as the Word of God. And the Word was God Himself. Mm, I got news for you, brother and sister. The great I am is the one and only. He's the one and only. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I think we're safe. My notes are done. I think we're safe. Thank you, brothers.
Thank you, brothers. Thank you so much. If, you, if it works out Monday night and you can be here for MIT, see, somebody started a car already. I'm going home, man. I'm going home. My son was sharing with me something. He'd been preaching every day for two and a half weeks in, Cal in California. He shared with me something, something precious straight from the Word of God. And I said, when's your next day off? He said, Monday's the only day off I have, period. I said, you don't have it off anymore. I want you to go to a hotel room. I want you to go to a bathroom. I don't care where you have to go to an empty church house. Get in your truck, whatever you got to do. But I want you to preach that to us Monday night on M at MIT. Uh, what he did before, I said, just put it on ice for a couple of weeks till we can make it all work out. But Monday night, if it's God's willing and he doesn't get asked to stay and preach after Sunday service, that's the plan. All right, 44-6 Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. That's Jehovah speaking right there. That's Old Testament Isaiah speaking. Through the unction, the unction of the Holy Ghost. I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Now we fast forward 2,000 years to Jesus talking to John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Here's Jesus talking to John. Red letter, most reliable, all reliable renditions. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Remember what Isaiah said? Jehovah, first and the last. There's no God besides me. Here's Jesus. When, he, when I saw him, John said, I fell at his feet as dead. And he, said, he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not! I bet they weren't in a hurry to leave that meeting that night. Fear not! I am the first and the last. Brother, you talk about divine revelation occurring right there. 18, he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Revelation 1, verse 11, I didn't give you that note. I know what you're thinking, August can't come too soon. I'll be gone for a whole month, two months. You'll get, you'll get a fresh voice. Here's Jesus, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Jehovah said, I am that. Here's Jesus saying, I am that. I'm talking about the one and only. The one and only. It's called monotheism. It's what every bloodstock Jew believes today. There's only one. They're not separate. They're not in distinct offices. They're one. Father in creation, son in redemption. Holy Ghost in the church, one God, one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, above all.
Go ahead, brother, or I'll just keep yapping. One and only.